Welcome to One Church. My name's Chris, and I'm uh, one of the teaching pastors here, as well as Dave Thompson. Y'all give it up for Dave. Uh, I tell you, Dave is one of two of our dynamic duo team uh, of our student ministry. So, in fact, uh, everybody loves on Dave because a lot of times he's on stage, but I don't know where Cheryl Mack's at. If you're in here, y'all give it up for Cheryl Mack. She's awesome as well. You guys are awesome. As you guys know, we're continuing our series on what would Jesus say to, and today we are looking at Walter White. That's right. Uh, if, if you're brand new with us, uh, I just want to let you know you're in luck that you're here today. Um, we're doing a really fun series, just as Chris explained. Uh, it's what would Jesus say to. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we worked with Katy Perry. Last week, uh, we looked at what Jesus would say to Lance Armstrong, and today it's Walter White. Who in here knows who Walter White is? Raise a hand. There we go. People who watch bad television. That's great. All right. Uh, no, uh, if you don't know who Walter White is, uh, he's uh, a character from the hit show Breaking Bad. It uh, received numerous awards, including the Primetime Emmy Award, eight Satellite Awards, two Golden Globes, and a People's Choice. And in 2014, it actually hit the Guinness uh, World Record for being the highest rated TV show of all time. Um, if you're not familiar with the show Breaking Bad, that's cool. Uh, just give you a little synoptic. Uh, Basically, uh, there's a guy named Walter White. He's a chemistry teacher in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, he's struggling trying to get by, and he comes down with lung cancer, and it just wrecks his world. So um, with finances, you know, uh, trying to figure it out, basically he decides to get into a world of crime so that he can try to raise money to take care of his family. Now, like, as a man, like, you know, you, you guys, like, can understand this with me. Like, we... We want to take care of our family, right? Whenever I have kids, I don't want them to have to worry about where's their next meal coming from? How are they going to get by? Like, we want to make sure we set them up for success. So I get that. Like, it is a huge deal. But the problem is, is Walter White, even though he had great intentions, and, like, the reason he got into this was great, he still made a bad choice, and he broke the law. Here in the Christian world, we call that sin. And uh, so today what we're actually going to talk about is temptation. How how do we get into that point of sin? Like, how, how do we go from just waking up normal in the morning to doing something just awful. Um, and so, you know, first of all, I just kind of want to ask, like, we all have that one thing that we always go back to, right? Mm-mm. Like, what, what's your, what's your, <laughs> uh, what's your one thing that, that you just constantly struggle with? Like, we all have something that we, we do, we regret it, we, we, you know, ask for forgiveness, or, you know, we try to stay away from it, and then we do it again. And it's just something that the moment life gets hard, we always go back to that one thing. And so I just want you, throughout this talk, just be thinking about what that is for you. Uh, if you brought a Bible today, we're going to be uh, uh, working in Genesis chapter 13. And I want to give you a heads up. Like, today it's going to be uncomfortable. It, this is a very uncomfortable talk. Um, it's uncomfortable for me and Chris to, uh, to come up and talk to you guys about this. It's going to be uncomfortable for you guys to listen. So for that, I'm sorry. Um, but it, it's think I truly believe it's a message that everybody here needs to hear. Uh, starting out, I'm actually going to go to James 1.13. I'm going to get to Genesis through James, going to go to the end and then the beginning. So it starts out with when tempted. Um, when tempted. Now, I just want to point out real fast, it doesn't say if tempted. See, something that we have to realize is that all of us are going to be tempted at some point in time. Some of us are being tempted right now. Some of us were tempted yesterday. Some of us are going to be tempted tonight. But all of us are going to be tempted. So when tempted, no one... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. 
I don't know how many times I hear that the devil made me do it. The, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The problem is, is the devil can only shoot you if you load the gun, cock it, and put it in his hands. You see, Satan can't tempt me with everything. There's just some things that I'm just not tempted by. And there's some things that you're not tempted by. Because ultimately, what Satan tempts us with is the things that we already want to do. It's the desires we have. Um, it continues on here with James. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Which is ultimately our big idea today. Our big idea is kind of in two parts. And the first part is sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to death. If you choose to sin, you're choosing to suffer. It could lead to the death of a marriage. Sin can lead to the death of our finances. It can lead to the death of a relationship with, with a friend. It could lead to, to the death of, of something in your life, something that is important. It always leads to death. And you know that end result, sin always leads to death. It's easy for us to say that, but one of the things that I want to really dive into this with you guys today is that even though the end result is death, there is a cycle that eventually leads to that death. And my goal today, I'm going to go ahead and tip my hand, my, my poker hand to you and let you know exactly what I'm wanting to do. We're wanting to look at this cycle of sin. And really what I'm asking you to do is find out where you're at in this cycle so that you can be able to stop it, to get out of it. Because all of us, we get into these sin patterns. And if it's true that sin always leads to death, then you better believe all of us struggle with something. In fact, let me just stop right here. If you're here and you're perfect, I would ask for you to find another church. I'm just going to be honest with you because we're going to jack you up. We are because we are messed up individuals. In fact, I truly do believe all of us have that, that thing that we struggle with. And if we can figure out where we're at in this cycle of sin, we just might. God just might intervene and be able to stop this. So let me talk about the first phase in this cycle of sin. The first one is flirtation. We all know what flirtation is, don't we? Because all of us have flirted, right? You flirt with someone and they flirt back, right? Let me give you a good definition of flirting. Flirting is seeing how close we can get to something but without actually making a commitment to it. You see, flirting is seeing how close we can get to something without actually making a commitment to it. And all of us, we've, we've been there, we've done that. In fact, the guy that we're going to be looking at today, his name is Lot. His name is Lot. And uh, he is related to one of the most famous people in the Bible, and this guy's named Abraham. In fact, we're going to be in Genesis, and as Dave said, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It literally means beginnings. And we're going to be in Genesis 13, but let me give you some context starting in Genesis 12. Because God meets Abraham, and he talks to Abraham. Abraham is living in a place called modern-day Iran, Iraq. Anybody heard of that place over there? Anyone? All right, cool. Um, and he's, uh, he's hanging out with his, with his folks, with his dad, and God meets Abraham, and he says, you know what? I have a plan for you, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the father of a great nation, and I'm going to give you a land, and he makes this promise to Abraham. <laughs> There's some problems there, because Abraham, he doesn't have any kids, and he is older than dirt, right? Some of you, you may feel old in here today, but when I say older than dirt, nobody here is 90 years old. I'm pretty much can guarantee it. Anybody 90? 
Good. So I'm not offending anybody, right? I'm just saying, that's old, right? 90, 99, right? He, and, and him and Sarah, his wife Sarah, doesn't have any kids. So, um, but God says, I'm going to take you to a land. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. You're just going to need to get up and you're going to need to follow me. And he does. It's so amazing. He does. And he brings his wife. He brings his servants. He brings some extended family. And one of the guys he hangs out with is Lot because Lot is his nephew and Abraham is Lot's uncle. In fact, Abraham liked Lot a lot. Just saying, all right? So, and what's so cool about this story is Lot, uh, even though Abraham, God blesses Abraham, the Lot story is one of the saddest stories found in the Bible. And we're going to dive in there. Going to dive in there. Now, what's so cool about this, before we get to Genesis 13, um, is God starts blessing Abraham and Lot, and they were both herdsmen. They had like goats and, and sheep and all this stuff. And, and God just blesses them. And let me define what that is. Some of you, you think, okay, that means that you know, God gave them a front row parking spot at Walmart when they came in. No, all right? I mean, physically, God is physically blessing Abraham and Lot so that the herds are expanding and they're getting wealthier. And what we find now is Abraham's servants and Lot's servants start arguing. That's a first world problem, by the way, right there, right? You know that you are rich when your biggest issue is your servants and, and their servants are fighting amongst one another, right? I mean, this is rich people's problems. But look at what happens. These, these servants start fighting with one another, and Abraham calls a timeout. He says, listen, Lot, let's, you and I get together, and we're getting so big. Let's just part ways. I love you. You love me. And we're going to go up on top of this mountain, and Lot, you pick... Which side you want to be on? Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. On one side, you had um, this green, lush valley. The tons of grass, tons of water. It looks gorgeous. And remember, if you're a herdsman, you're gonna, they're going to need to eat what? All the herd. Bam, there you go. All right? And on this other side, eh. Got some shrubs, grass is kind of dead. It's kind of like most of our yards right now in Tennessee, right? So, Abraham and Lot go up on top of the mountain and look at this conversation. Lot took what? A long look where? At the fertile, everybody say fertile. Fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was what? Well watered, exactly right. Everywhere. That means there was a lot of water. Like the Garden of the Lord. That's the Garden of Eden. Or through the beautiful land of Egypt. But look at this little caveat. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot based his decision entirely on money, honey. He based this decision of, you know what? I think I like the way that looks. Because it's going to be able to go well with my herds. And he based it entirely on finances and had nothing to do with the spiritual decision. And let me give you a principle here. If you make decisions based solely on finances and be able to cut the spiritual life out of it, you will lose it all. You will lose all of your finances. And that is exactly what happens with Lot. Now look at this next verse. This is so interesting. So interesting. If you highlight or underline your Bibles, I'd totally encourage you to do this. Verse 12 of Genesis 13. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived where? Among the cities of the plain. And look at these next words. And pitched his tents where? 
near Sodom. I mean, underline that. He pitched his tents near Sodom. This is really big. Why? Because of the next verse. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot pitched his tents near Sodom. If we had a chance to go back and talk to Lot and say, Lot, you know, tell us about this decision you're making of pitching your tents near Sodom. I mean, what are you thinking, Lot? Lot would go, oh, Chris, time out. I know how bad those people are. I know what they're doing over there, but I'm not among them. I, I just, I'm, I'm near them. Because this is a good buck over here, and the land looks great, and I, I'm not going to become a part of them. I'm just going to be near them. Lot would totally say that. It's kind of like this chair right here. This chair for today is going to represent sin. And parents, you're going to totally get this when I talk about this. Because if you, as a parent, tell your child, do not sit in that chair. If I tell Dave, don't sit in that chair. <laughs> Dave, what are you doing? I'm not sitting in it. He ain't sitting in it. He's getting as close as he can to it, right? How many of y'all, you got kids like this? Everybody should be raising their hands, right? Everybody, right? Because all of us, amen, I know. First amen I ever got here at one church. Just saying. <laughs> Because all of us, we've been there. And, and we can talk about our kids like that, but aren't we the same way? Because when, when, when we say, don't do that. You, you, if you see the, the picture uh, and it says wet paint, don't touch, what's the first thing you want to do? Exactly right. Exactly right. So here's this thing. And that's exactly, we flirt with it. We flirt with it. You know, as a... A youth pastor, I work with a lot of 6th through 12th graders, and uh, one of the number one questions I always hear is, you know, I, I, on a date, like, how far can we go? I, I know, like, some of you guys, like, you've got middle schoolers, you're getting scared because you haven't really had that talk yet, but I, they already know more than you do, so. Um, <laughs> uh, but the truth is, they always ask, like, how far can we go? And see, like, you know, some of them still use, like, the old phrases, like, from whenever I was a kid, like, you got the, you know, baseball diamond, and, you know, you got first base, which is like, you know, holding hands, and second base, like, heavy petting. Like, I'm sorry. That's just weird. Like, you shouldn't do that to anybody. Anybody. Ever. Um, you know, third base, you might take off some clothes, and fourth base, or, sorry, fourth base. I'm not a ba baseball fan. So, you go home, and we all know that that's home. So, um, you know, the truth is, it's like, my, what I always tell the kids is, you know, you're still on the bench. Like, you're, you're not even, you know, up for bat. So, um, but the truth is, they always ask the question, like, how far can we go? And see, the problem is, is because what they're really asking there is, how close to sin can I get without actually committing it? Mm. Right. Like, how how close, I, I, I want to I wanna get as close to this barrier as I can, this, this line that, that could be sin, and I just, you know, I just want to be as close as I can to it without actually crossing it. See, the problem is, is that's not the question we should be asking. Like, the question we should be asking is, how can I get closer to Christ? That's right. You see, it's not how close can I get to sin. If, if, if I'm all about how can I get closer to Christ, then I'm moving away from sin. That's right. And you know then there's not a doubt in your mind that you're not doing <laughs> the right thing. Mm. Um, it's just, 
It's that flirtation stage. Mm. How close can I get without actually committing it? Sin always leads to death. And this is where the whole flirting stage, this is where an old, you connect with an old flame on Facebook, right? I mean, nothing wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. And you remember how good she used to look or how hot he used to look. And emotional messages are exchanged. And pretty soon, one person suggests, hey, why don't we meet for lunch? And, and again, if I would sit down and I would talk with you, hey, listen, are you planning on having an affair and blowing up your marriage? They would say, absolutely not. It's just lunch. Chris, get off my back. There's no Bible verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not eat lunch. Right? But we're flirting. We're flirting. Let me tell you, let me tell you where an affair starts. It never starts in the sheets. It starts over a tablecloth. It starts over something that looks innocent. And it moves somewhere else. Always. That is flirting. It's dating a guy or girl who's not in love with Jesus and you just start hanging out with. No, you're not hanging out with them. You are dating them. It's that bad business deal at work. And you know there's something unethical about it, but you just can't put your finger on it. Let me tell you, the first step away from God is always a small step. Always. The first step away from God is always a small step. And I think Jesus would sit down with Walter White and he would say, man, I get this. I get your intentions. You want to provide for your family. And you're frustrated that you have lung cancer. And you want to make sure that your family is going to be provided for. And a teacher's salary just isn't going to cut it. But I think Jesus would say, you know what? Everybody has that saying, the road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. And I think Jesus would say, this decision that you're making, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And it does. It always. Why? Because sin always leads to death. Lot said, you know what? I'm just going to pitch my tents near Sodom. And I think Jesus would ask the same question to you and to me. Is there something that you're flirting with today that you should be fleeing from? Because all of us, we've got that one sin, that one thing that we have a tendency to move towards. And, and you've got to know where you're weak. You've got to know where you have the potential to fall because if you don't know where you have the potential to fall, you won't know where you're supposed to be fighting. You've got to know that. And some of us, we should be fleeing. We should be moving away, but we're flirting with it. You've got to know where you're at. Is there anything that you're flirting with that you should be fleeing from? Which ultimately brings us to our second step. Uh, Second step would be rationalization. You see, when you rationalize, you tell yourself rational lies. We we move to this point where we we start to just make up things for why it should happen, why, why I should take that next step. You know, in Breaking Bad, like, if, if you were to talk to Walter, like, he, he's at a point where he's saying, hey, man, you know, uh, what's the matter? I'm, I'm going to die of cancer. It's only really going to affect me. By the time anybody ever found out, like, I'd already be gone. Um, you know, I need to take care of my family. He starts to rationalize it. Um, and, and, and Lot, and before we get to kind of Lot's point where he starts to rationalize it, like, uh, I just kind of want to set the stage as to where, uh, where we pick up at. Uh, you've got nine countries total, but basically five of them are fighting the other four. Uh, the one with five has Sodom and Gomorrah in it. And basically the one with four comes in and kicks butt and 
um, starts to basically take stuff away. So that's where we pick up with uh, this next verse in chapter 14. It says, the, vi- the victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and food supplies. Now, Dave, 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 what, is, what does that have anything to do with Lot? I'm glad you asked. Verse 12. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now, hold up for a second. Like, Chris was just saying that he was pitching his tent near Sodom. And now you're saying that he's living in Sodom? Like, how, how did you cross that, that point? And I imagine if we came up and talked to him, he'd be like, yo, dog, man, you know, I, I just, uh, my kids, they go to Sodom High School. And, uh, you know, my wife, she just totally joined the uh, Sodom Aerobics Club. And, and you know, if, if, I, if, I, if I need supplies, I got to go to Sodom Lowe's. And that's just such a hassle, man. I, so, you know, it's just easier for us to move in. It's just so much easier for us to just, you know, go into Sodom because then we spend a lot less time driving and we can spend more family time, right? You know, like doing godly things, not. Um, but the fact is, like, we do that too. Like, I talk to, to couples all the time that, that are, are living together, but yet they're not married. And, you know, often, like, they, they, they always say the same thing. It's always the same rationalization. And what they're really trying to say and what the real answer is, is he doesn't like commitment, and I'm afraid, too afraid to ask for commitment, so I'm just going to move in. Mm. But what they tell you is, oh, it's just, it just makes more sense economically. Like, we're saving money. Why pay two sets of rent? We can live together. But that's really not the case. It's kind of like, um, you know, whenever people come up and, and you have that friend that is opposite gender and you're just spending a lot of time with them. And then you start to rationalize the idea that, well, I, I'm just not happy in my marriage and, you know, my spouse just doesn't make me happy and God wants me to be happy, right? <clears throat> you see, like, if we, if we base everything off of that, like, could you imagine you've walked outside and you saw your kid, like, playing with a rattlesnake and they were just totally happy about it? Like, you know, he, he wouldn't say, well, you know, I didn't want to mess with him. He was totally happy, and, you know, so I just, I just let him do it. No. Why? Because his happiness would be very, very short-lived. That's right. Because his life would be short-lived. <laughs> you know, it's this whole thing that so many times we get, we get in this cycle, and we start flirting, and then we start telling those rational lies, and it really does lead to the next one, and that's transformation transformation. Here's the thing about sin. Here's the thing about sitting in this chair is you can't sit in this chair. You can't get here without being changed. You can't sit in this chair and expect to have the same morals that you had and the same friends that you have and the same outlook on life that you have. You can't, you can just, just count on it. You will be changed if you sit here. You cannot help it. And what we're going to be looking at is in Genesis chapter 19. When we get to the chapter in Genesis chapter 19, my boy Lot, he's been living here for 13 years. He's been living in Sodom for 13 years, and he has changed dramatically. There has been a, there's come a transformation in his life. And when we get transformed, it's never for the good. Why? Because sin always leads to death. Always. And the longer you sit here, the more death that will happen in our life, and especially in the people around us. And that leads us to the second part of this big idea. Let's put it on the screen. Sin always leads to death, and it never just stops with us. 
Sin always leads to death. Can you say that with me? Sin always leads to death. And guess what? Say this with me. And it just stops with us. It never just stops with us. And I've heard, I've heard it from so many women and so many guys. Guys, we all struggle with our eyes. If you're a guy and you say you don't struggle with your eyes, you also struggle with truth-telling. All right? Let's just be honest, okay? And I've heard from so many guys, you know what? I'm just looking at some stuff online. It's not hurting my relationship. It's not hurting anyone else. It's not hurting her. It's not even really hurting me, right? And, and, and we get in this lie saying, you know what? It, my sin doesn't affect anyone else. And it is a lie, ladies. God is giving you this hunger for romance. And maybe you don't get it in your current relationship, so you just read books about it. You, you read how many shades of gray you can get. Let's just be honest with you. Right? And if the guys were watching pictures of what you were reading, you would be angry. Right? You would. And see, guys are made visually. Ladies are made with audio and being able to read and listen. And both, it's like, you know what? I'm not hurting the other person. But it's a lie because sin always leads to death. And it never just stops with us. Think of sin like a hand grenade. Like, if I take a hand grenade, I pull the pin, and I hold it like this, what's going to happen to me? Death. Right? Because sin always leads to death. But let's say I pull the plan, hold it next to me, and there's people around me. What's going to happen to those people? They're going to get hurt too. Why? Because sin always leads to death, and it never just stops with us. The shrapnel of their bad decisions is going to permeate their lives, and it will. So let's look at Genesis 19. All right, so Lot's been sitting here for 13 years. He's been living in Sodom for 13 years. And look at how Lot has changed. Verse one, the two angels arrived at Sodom. Time out, what are they doing in Sodom? Because God sent them to Sodom. God is gonna destroy the entire place. But God loves. So he sends, he says, man, warn Lot. Warn Lot's kids. Warn Lot's wife. I love Lot. Let's get them out of there. So he sends the two angels into Sodom in the evening And Lot was sitting in the, where? Gateway of the city. Now look at this. First he was near. First he's near. Then he's in. And now he's sitting in the gateway. Let me tell you what that means in that culture. Because in that culture, the only men that sat in the gateway of the city were the leaders of that city. So Lot had gone from pitching his tents near to living in to now leading Sodom. He is part of the leadership structure of Sodom. He's leading it. And look at the transformation that happens in his decision-making. Verse, in verse 1, when he saw them, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down his face to the ground. Do you know that you can look religious and still be really jacked up? You know what I'm saying? You can look the part. You can show up uh, with suits and ties, and you can go through the motions and still be really messed up. He looked religious, but he was living in sin. Next verse. My lords. Listen, didn't he, he has all the right words. Lord. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, and then you can go on your way early in the morning. Look at that. You can go on your way early in the morning. He's, just, he's not saying, hang out tomorrow, we'll hang out. He says, no, you need to get out of here. 
And let me tell you, this is the reason why people who live in sin don't want to walk with people who love Jesus. Because they start feeling convicted. And some of you, that may be the reason why you've been out of church for a while. We can blame the church all we want to, but really the reason is you just wanted to do your own thing. And you don't want to hang out with Christians because it made you feel bad. And it wasn't so much the Christian's fault. It's just you wanted to do your own thing. Look at this. Look at how he's transformed with some of these decision makings. Verses 2 through 4. No, they answered. The angels answered. We will spend the night here in the square. But Lot insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them by baking bread without yeast, and they ate. And before he had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Uh Uh-oh. And this is where the big problem comes in. Uh, The next verse says, They called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Now, like, this is a serious problem. Because essentially what these guys are saying um, is that they're a mob with the intent of gang rape. Like, you don't even have to be Christian to agree with me that that is just jacked up. Like, who who just wakes up one day and says, you know what, what what am I going to do? Gang rape. Like, you, you, you don't walk up to someone and be like, hey, man, you know, what, what you got going on tonight? I'm thinking gang rape. Like, you, you don't say, all right, let's be friends. No, you're like, dude, peace. Like, I'm out. <laughs> and it gets worse because this is a bad situation, but, you know, uh, keep in mind, he's been living in Sodom for 30 years. So let's just continue on. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my, wait, what's that word? My friends. Don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Like, can I just ask a question? Are his daughters under the protection of his roof? Mm. Like, is anybody, like, jumping up with glory, be like, man, I wish I was Lot's daughters? Like, is he in his right mind right now? Mm -mm. No, he's been transformed. That's right. He, he's been living in Sodom for 13 years. Do you think that whenever Lot was hanging out with Abraham, that at any point in time, you know, whenever he's being blessed and he's living out and he's a farmer, that he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to grow up to, so I can give my daughters away to a mob for gang rape. Do you think at any point in time he just made that decision? Like, problem was, he was transformed. See, Chris has been asking at the end of each thing, like, what step are you in? Are you flirting with something? Are you making up lies for, you know, for something that, that you just feel is off-center in your life? Or are you being transformed? Because I want you to know, sin always leads to death. That's right. And it doesn't just stop with you. Yeah. My wife and I, we were going to Florida about a month ago. And before we went to Florida, we thought, you know what, we got Netflix, so we watched a documentary on Netflix called Blackfish. Anybody seen this documentary? Okay. Um, Let me give you the documentary. You ought to go home and watch it. Um, It's about these trainers who work with killer whales at these marine centers who are then killed 
by the killer whales. I mean, a trainer has swam with the killer whale. A trainer has hugged these killer whales. They've kissed the killer whales. They have fed the killer whales. They've swam and done stunts with the killer whales. They've even named the killer whales. They've made the killer whales do tricks. But one day, the killer whale turns on the person and then mauls them. And everybody's going, oh my gosh, I never saw this coming. I am at home watching this going, you are with a killer whale. Killer. Everybody say killer. Killer whale. What I'm saying is, at some point, you knew that relationship was going to go bad, right? You just did. I mean, you cannot say that I was shocked that a whale killed when the name of the whale is killer whale, right? And let me tell you, that is exactly what our sin is like. You know, our sin is a killer whale of a sin. And we can name our sin. We can go to 12-step programs for our sin. We can talk about our sin. We can join with other people's hands and sing kumbaya about our sin. We can, we can swim with our sin. We can do tricks with our sin. But sooner or later, your sin will kill you. Sooner or later. If you sit in this chair long enough, it will kill you. It will. You sit in this chair long enough, you know, something's going to happen. Lot lit sat in this chair for 13 years. <laughs> sat in this chair for 13 years. You can't sit in that chair for 13 years and not change. You can't sit in that chair for 13 minutes and not change. Because sooner, or sooner or enough, the electricity is going to kick on. And it's going to destroy every part of your life. See, the next step is destruction. This is not a fun chair. Sure, it's fun for a period of time. Sure, you get enjoyment. I've heard people say that if you don't find sin fun, then you're not doing it right. Like, that, honestly, that's the truth. It's always fun for a time. But sooner or later, it's going to kick on. You see, I think if Jesus really had a chance to talk to Walter White, I think this is what he would say. Walt, man love you. I just love you so much. And I understand that you want to take care of your family. And I understand that you're trying to do something right, but you're making a really bad choice. And you've been living in a place for 13 years going down the, the wrong path. And Walt, man, I, 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 just, I just have to tell you, it's going to destroy you. And see, as it turns out, like, um, with Walt and, and Breaking Bad, like it didn't just stop with him. He winds up, you know, his family kind of implodes. He loses his wife. His kids start to change. His wife actually starts getting into the business. Um, just everything starts to turn to junk in his life. And some of you guys are thinking like, Dave, Dave, like, why are you talking to me about this? Like, I am so uncomfortable right now. Trust me, I'm uncomfortable too. This is a very hard topic to talk about. But the fact is, I love my church. Chris loves our church. We love everything about this church. We love the people in this church. But we love you guys enough to say, dude, stop. We're so tired of seeing families get destroyed time and time again. Right. You know, with Walt or with Lot, like, just to finish the story, 
Um, Lot basically, um, he kind of hesitates, uh, and then he finally gets taken out of the, of the city. Along the way, he, uh, he loses his wife. His wife dies. He, uh, he goes to, to one city called Zor, and then uh, he gets scared, so he goes up into the cave. So there he is. He's gone from, like, the rich, um, you know, leader in a town who has family, who has everything he wanted, to living in a dingy cave, homeless. He lost his wife. But it doesn't just stop there, because this is where the cycle starts all over again. We'll go and continue on. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor, and his two daughters lived in a cave. Or sorry, he and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as it is custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. Is she thinking right? So you got to keep in mind, Lot's daughters lived in Sodom for 13 years too. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in to lay with him. He was not aware of it. She wasn't, he didn't know when she laid down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, last night I lay with my father. Let's get him drunk again. And you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. There's always rationalization. Always. You know what happens to these kids? What happens to these kids is the Bible goes on to say in the next two verses that the descendants of these two kids becomes the mortal enemy of God's people, the Israelites. These two kids become the Moabite race and the Ammonite race. And these people groups raid and plunder and kill God's people for hundreds of years in the future because sin never just stops with you. It never does. Some of you, you're doing some junk right now that is gonna affect your children and their children's children and your children's children's children Some of you are dealing with junk in your life because you had a great-great-grandfather chose to go off the reservation and get dumb. And it broke relationships. And that sin that he did or she did, your grandmother, eventually led to death in a family, in a relationship. And you are still dealing with the ripple effects of their bad decision. Sin always leads to death. And it never just stops with you. And just as Lot rationalized and flirted and became transformed and now his life is destroyed, that is what happens with all of us. So quick question. If you're sitting in this chair today, how do you get out? How do you get out? Because some of you, you're flirting. You've been rationalizing. You're changing. Let me just stop right here by saying, if you're here, you're not destroyed yet, right? If you're here, it's not done. Because if you're not dead, God's not done. That's the truth. And God is giving you an option to get out of the killer tank, the killer well tank today. But how do you do that? Well, let me give you the first. The first thing you need to do is you need to confess to God. You need to confess to God. 
You just need to be real with God, and you need to say, God, I've been flirting with this, and I've been looking at this, and I've been reading this, and I've been hanging out with him or her, and you just need to get real with God and just be honest with him. Now, growing up, my pushback on this is, okay, if God is all-knowing, why am I informing him of something he already knows, right? And I saw it as information. In fact, I love this verse. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and it says this, if, everybody say if, if we confess our sins. I love what this guy's doing, John, here. He says, if you do this, then a result's going to happen. If you confess your sins then what is God going to do? Notice, he doesn't get to what God's going to do yet. He goes through God's character. I love this. This is going to get me preaching. If we confess our sins, look at this. He is, what? Faithful and just. Now, here's the end result. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, let me tell you, confession isn't informational. Confession is transformational. You're not just informing God. God already knows your junk. He knows your smut. He does. He's just wanting you to call your junk junk because it is. It is. He's wanting you to just say, you know what? I, I'm calling this what it is. I'm flirting. I'm having the affair. I'm looking at this. I've made poor decisions at work. I'm doing this. And, 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 and it's not just say, let me tell you what confession is not. God, I'm doing this. Cleans me, clean me, you know, clean me up, and I'm going to do it even better next week. No, that's not confession. You playing a game. God don't play games. You confess it with the intention, I'm done. It, 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 you, you're getting out of the killer well tank, and you're not getting ready to jump back in again. That is confessing to God. That's not it. You see, the second step that we have to do is we have to confess to others. Honestly, it's probably the hardest step in the whole process, but it's probably the most rewarding. It, especially here in the South, like it, it's, it's really difficult because the perception of a lot of people is church is for perfect people with no problems. If you're perfect, would you raise your hand? You see, the perception has been for too long that if you have problems, you go to the bar. But if, you have, if you're perfect, you go to church. See, something we like to say about here at One Church is that nobody's perfect, everybody's welcome, and anything is possible. That's right. Like, you can take a step now to get out of this. So this is what I want you to do. I want everybody to pull up their phones. Just pick it up. Open it. Yeah, I'm giving you full permission to text message while in church. Tweet that. All right. Pull up a text message. Now, I want you to think of somebody that you trust. Someone that you trust and you know loves you enough to hold you accountable. And if God spoke to you about something today something that you need to confess to him, something that whether you're flirting with it, whether you're, you're, you're rationalizing it, whether you've moved into transformation, God's given you an opportunity to get out. That's right. And what I want you to do, just a simple statement, because I don't want you to write the whole story out here because then, you know, at t will just break and, you know, everything go crazy. I want you to write something very simple. I need to talk to you. Don't send it yet. Because I think ultimately what Jesus would say to Walter White, it's the same thing that he would say to you. I'm giving you a chance out. Can you imagine that freedom? Now, would you send the text message? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, giving us this opportunity to come together and discuss your word. And 
Um, God, I know that, that there's life change happening out there today. God, I ask that these words don't just like stop at the door, that they continue on and they, they go out with them. God, I ask if there are people who honestly did confess to you today, God, I, I just ask that, that they are power, strong enough to actually send the text to somebody. And that if that person responds, that they'll actually be able to sit down and tell them exactly what's going on. Will it be easy? No. Will it be very hard? Yeah. Will it be worth it? Most definitely. God, we know that ultimately sin leads to death and it never stops with us. God, help us get out of this. I don't want to live this lifestyle anymore. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Got a couple of questions before, we, uh, before Justin comes out and does the announcements. Um, first question is this. Are thoughts of sinning just as bad as acting on that same sin? That's a great question. Uh, let me say this. Um, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You know, um, people um, were kind of trying to live like a certain way in, in Jesus' time. And Jesus would come in and say, you know what? <laughs> you say, you know, that you're not having adultery on your wife, all right? So you're not being physical with anyone. But then Jesus would come and say, you, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But then Jesus says, but I tell you that if you've looked at a woman with lust in your eye, you've already committed adultery. Jesus said in, in the next verse, he says, you know, some of you said, you've heard it said, do not kill. But I say that if you are angry with someone, you've already killed them. So, you know, sometimes I think we get into this trap, well, because I didn't do, I didn't do the thing, then I really didn't do anything wrong. When really, a lot of times, we, we all got freaky things in our mind, right, that we think about. And I think, and that's the reason why I don't think any of us could say, you know what, I, I, I'm sinless. I mean, even if you didn't go and do it, you were angry. You thought about getting with him. You thought about getting with her. So this whole idea of actions versus thoughts, um, uh, both can be sin. Now, there is a fine line here because I've been tempted to sin and you've been tempted to sin and you didn't do it. That means you didn't sin, but you were tempted, right? Um, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand underneath it. So we are tempted many times to do something wrong, but we didn't. And that's a praise God. That's, one, that's a win. I like the verse right before that. It says, if you are standing, be careful because you're getting ready to fall. And some of you, you're here and you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm good, Chris. I got no A text. I'm good. God would say, buckle up because you're just this far away from destroying your life, from rationalizing, from flirting, to being changed, to being destroyed. 